IQ, intelligent quotient. Is this the most important thing? Well, if you're trying to make money, it's not. Today, we're going to talk about EQ, emotional quotient. We've heard that we should all be smarter. We should be intelligent. We should pound the books. We should hit the books. But intelligence is your ability to learn and apply skills. We're talking about math skills, word comprehension, abstract or spatial thinking. EQ or emotional intelligence, emotion quotient, is the ability to identify, assess, and control emotional elements in yourself and other people. This is groups. This is leading. This is entrepreneurship, successful relationship, building, networking. All the important things are over here in EQ. But... We might not have many lessons in EQ, and in today's podcast, I have the one and only Kate with me right now. What's up, Kate? How you doing? We're going to roll through here, and we're going to deliver a very powerful episode on emotional intelligence and why you need it, certain things that you probably should have thought about. So we're going to have you organize that thought process, and we're going to go back and forth on how to become a more emotionally intelligent person. Now, there are five major aspects that you need to understand when you're talking about emotional intelligence. I'm going to let Kate deliver what those five are. So the five components of emotional intelligence, the first is self-awareness. So being very mindful and cognizant of how you're coming across and sort of what your emotional state is. The second is managing emotions. So when you're happy, when you're sad, when you're frustrated, any sort of intense emotion that you may have, how's your process for checking in with yourself and, and managing that emotion? Third, self-motivation. How good are you at pumping yourself up, getting yourself up every day, doing what you need to do every day, being successful? How good are you at, at instigating that within yourself? Number four is empathy. How well can you relate to other people? How good are you at putting yourself in somebody else's shoes and really appreciating their situation? And finally, number five, handling relationships. This is about your interpersonal interactions. So this runs from your family to your friends to your coworkers. How well do you relate to other people and how easy are you to get along? Along with. In a nutshell, there it is. This is emotional intelligence. Think about the value in these things and why having an edge and understanding them, it's going to make you a superior worker. It's going to have your career advance. It's going to have your money start pouring in if you can understand these things because in the social economy, we got to work with others. You're not going to get all the way to the top on your own. Masters like Warren Buffett and Bill Gates have all said that their team has been part of the strongest reason why they moved up so quick and why were they able to achieve billions of dollars. Now we could seriously spend days on this podcast discussing the value and all of the little intricacies when it comes down to EQ, but we're gonna keep it short and sweet. That way we can kind of give you burst information in the lessons that we've picked up along the way, whether it be reading or working working with others. So let's dig in here. The first one I want to talk about is the ventilation fallacy. People have this false sense that they're supposed to vent. They're supposed to always talk about their feelings, be putting everything out there when they're angry. Picture a road rage situation. When someone's angry, they're supposed to yell, get that out. Venting is a very bad thing and it actually prolongs your mood directly talking about anger anger is an emotion that we deal with a few times a day most likely whether you have traffic jams or little things that don't go your way and if you're the person that has anger outbursts that's a thing that you want to directly work on i was this person for many years kate you've seen me get flip out before i have yeah and and just over time this is something that i had to actually control and work on what i like to do is bottle it up and release it later in the gym 
Now, I want to talk about ventilation fallacy when it comes down to sad moods. When we're in a very sad mood, this is the only time we actually want to vent. We want to talk about those emotions because we don't want sad emotions to pile up and bottle up inside of us. We need to feel validation in some way. I couldn't agree with this more. The other piece about letting your emotions out when you're you're angry as opposed to you're sad is it can actually reflect extremely negatively on you. So there's the interaction that you have with whoever it is who's offended you or made you mad in the first place. And there you, you know, you react however you're going to react. What we're talking about is really the secondary reaction. So when you go to have coffee with your friend, man, can you believe what happened to me? And you just can't let it go. That's the venting we're talking about where you're sort of prolonging the situation. And it can actually, like I said, make you look very bad. So if you're having lunch with a colleague and you are venting about another colleague, something that they did, it can make you look kind of petty, kind of like you're not letting it go. If you say something that reflects negatively on that other person, it can look like you're talking badly about them behind their back. And it's just, it's not a good look. And so in addition to prolonging the situation and making it worse for your own mental state, it actually makes you look very bad. And people remember your last act. So if this is something that you did in front of a superior or that coworker is on the same level as you are, or even the person that's below you, it's not like Kate said, it's not going to be a good look. It's not, it's leave a sour taste in their mouth and venting also is neck and neck there venting anger that is with complaining you're going to come off as a complainer it's one of the toxic personalities that you're going to want to avoid so think about these things when you're getting ready to vent i have a little saying it's practice the pause next time you get ready to write that long facebook message that you're probably going to look back at 12 hours later or the next day and go damn why the hell did i write that or if time hop happens to put it back in your newsfeed and remind you of some dumb shit that you said years ago this is definitely when you want to kind of check yourself practice that pause and think about it lesson two don't ruminate when you're sad. Distract yourself instead. Sadness is an emotion that overcomes all of us. I just said that it's okay to talk to your best friend, to your family members about reasons that you're sad. But one thing you do not want to do is wallow in your sadness. And so many people that are going through hardships, I mean, even entrepreneurs on successful journeys are going through these hardships and they want to wallow in that sadness. It will build up and drag you down. Instead of wallowing, very simply, you want to distract. This is why I keep fitness in my life. Something to take my mind off of it. Something to switch up emotion and go over to physical. It's very important for people to have these outlets where they're legitimately distracting themselves from sadness. We're all going to experience sadness. What are some things that you do to distract yourself, Kate? You know, this is an interesting one for me and sort of a double-edged sword because when I was, you know this about me, when I was 26, I lost my father. He passed away from cancer. I buried myself in work. I was interning at the time, very prestigious internship that I had. And what I, the way I coped with it was I worked more hours. I took on more projects. I, I buried myself in the work. And I got a lot of criticism from family members and friends who were like, hey, we're worried. You're not taking enough time for yourself. You're not dealing with it. And, you know, in retrospect, first of all, everybody deals with grief in their own way. If it's grief as opposed to sadness, I mean, don't ever let somebody tell you you're dealing with it the quote unquote wrong way. You need to do what's best for you. And, and for me, it was burying myself in more projects and, and distracting myself. And for a lot of people, that's actually the way that, that works for them to deal with it. So this one resonates with me a lot. I, you know, and I couldn't agree with it more. Yeah. And just to pull from Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich, one thing, negative emotions, and this is what we're talking about, we're talking about sadness and negative emotions, things that make us feel bad. You can only have one or the other in your mind, a negative emotion or a positive emotion. They will dominate your entire mindset and frame. 
keep that in mind. If you distract yourself with something you love, and Kate, you know, she's strange like that. She loves her work. This is <laughs> definitely something that can, can pull you out of those sad moods. The next lesson, the next lesson I want to talk about is something that we all have run-ins with. This next lesson is to criticize the proper way. I want you to take a second and think about the last time you criticized someone, whether that's your sister with her dance moves or whether it's your best friend who wanted to show you his painting, his or her painting. Did you rip into it? How did you criticize them? You're dealing with something very sensitive. Now, pull this this lesson over into the workplace and think about how this can have huge impacts on the future of your career, on your finances, how you say something. If you're going to come off like a hater, you're going to have that person dislike you. You're going to lose points with that person. Now, you could sit here and say, well, I don't really care what anybody thinks of me. That's false. If you don't care what anyone thinks of you, you're not going to get very far. So take a second and listen to the proper ways here. There's steps to criticizing someone. One, be specific. Be direct about the exact thing that you're going to criticize. So let's pull up that example of you criticizing your sister's dance moves. Be specific. Tell her that you did not like her two-step. The two-step wasn't exactly right. Can I just throw in before we even get to be specific? Yeah. Because I, I know what these four are, and I think there's an important, important one that's left out, and it's sort of the predecessor or the precursor to all of these. And it's think about what you're criticizing. So many times I see people who they'll go to an art exhibit, and they're like, oh, that artist sucks. Like his, It's just a mess, and, it's, and they don't understand anything about art. They've got no business criticizing because they don't know the styles. They they don't know what inspired that artist. They're just going and they're making a blanket judgment based on God knows what. Think about what you're criticizing. Do you have the right to criticize it? Do you know enough to intelligibly criticize it? I don't know the first thing about fine art. I mean, I know what looks good to me, but I would never criticize somebody because I don't I don't know the principles, right? Same thing with, let's take fitness, for example. Somebody who knows nothing about lifting, going into the gym and criticizing somebody else's form. It just makes no sense. So step back, think about whether what you're about to criticize or bash somebody for is something you know a thing about and something you've got the right to criticize about. Killer point. This is why Kate is rocking <laughs> success convo. There we go. Understand what you're talking about before you criticize. Absolutely. Now, if it's an opinion, that's a different thing. Back to this dance reference, let's use it as an overarching thing. Let's suppose I'm a dance coach or let's suppose that I'm just giving her feedback. She asked me directly for feedback. Sometimes we'll ask a friend for feedback and even though they're not a master painter, they still will value our opinion. The second major thing, after be specific, is offering a solution. Back to the dance move. It's a bad two-step. Well, then give her a little three-step. Give her a little something to, to work with. And this is something particular to think about in the workplace. If you're going to criticize someone on anything, you have that specific paper that they messed up on, you better have researched a few different ways or know how to fix it. So you have to be ready to offer them a solution. Back to Kate's suggestion, if you can't offer them a solution, you probably shouldn't be criticizing them in the first place. Number three, do it face to face. I love this tip. Everything will get lost in transition. Big life lesson here. What do we do 90% of the time we want to talk to someone now? Text. We text message. How many times have you sent a text and then maybe your friend called you and got it wrong? Like, whoa, why are you yelling at me? Oh, I was just, I wasn't yelling, dude. I had the caps lock on by accident. <laughs> so many different things get lost in translation. So if you are going to criticize someone and you want it to have an impact and you actually want it to change a better situation, definitely go out of your way to make this face to face. Number four, probably the biggest tip here is to show empathy. 
understand where that person's coming from. If you're going to criticize those dance moves, and this dance was something that she's been working on for hours upon end because it's for a school play, let's say, and then you go through and just like, oh man, it sucks. It, that's just horrible. You're crushing her from a feelings perspective. Step back and ask yourself, what does this mean to that person? Now, obviously, you got a work situation and somebody cranked out a, a paper that was a joint project and you could tell they spent 10 minutes on something that was supposed to last three hours. Well, that's a completely different pivot point and maybe your empathy is going to change. But if someone puts a lot of effort into something, and this is a big pet peeve that I see, especially in fitness. I see it with my fitness clients. I see it with business clients too. When someone takes a lot of effort and puts the work in to transform themselves or deliver a project and then they kind of get that cold slap in the face that, hey, it's not as great as maybe you thought it was, step back and be empathetic. Any tips on empathy as far as reading people? Well, I think the best way to get better at these tips is, and we always say this, practice, 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 but the best way to, to get better at all of these things is to put yourself in the position where you're a mentor to somebody because it's a, a position of extreme responsibility. I've mentored, mentored a couple of younger attorneys and I have to think very carefully about how if they bring a project to me or if they have a question, how I deliver that answer or how I deliver that feedback and be very gentle and concrete and, you know, understanding of their position when I give them feedback. A, because that's, you know, instrumental to their development in their career, but B, because if we're trying to recruit them as a potential, you know, Co colleague down the road, they're not going to want to work with you if you give them nasty feedback or if you're not professional in how you deliver your feedback. And so, you know, I don't, this isn't necessarily something that everybody can do, go out and solicit a mentee, but being in a position where you're sort of, you know, the stakes are high and giving somebody feedback is the best way to, you know, force yourself to get better at these things. And just to piggyback on that note, whether or not you're in a managerial position, A Red Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, I highly recommend that read. And one thing that was unique about his management perspective that I've, I've read so many different management books, self-management, and that's something that everybody needs to read to self-management, but how to manage people as well. Phil Knight actually says you should take each person from a unique basis. Everybody is different. There's no blanket management skills. For example, One Minute Manager, one of the best managerial books ever written, teaches you how to break it down and very simply, there's three main points in that book, very simply manage somebody and get the job done right in under a minute or less. Okay, it's great, but I think, and, and Kate, would you say this is true? You have different mentees. Do you have to approach each one differently? I mean, do you have to literally change your whole strategy based on the person you're dealing with? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because everybody has a different comfort level with what, with what they're doing. Um, you know, some people are by nature very confident and perhaps you can take a different approach with them, be a little bit more straightforward. Some people need a little more coddling because they're, you know, for one reason or another, maybe they've gotten beat down in another circumstance and, and aren't as confident and, and comfortable. So yeah, I mean, you have to sort of take your person as you find them. And one of the reasons I bring this point up is because I'm trying to display a little bit of mastery here. I think the best empathetic people, the people that really have great people sp skills, know how to be dynamic enough to change their stance from person to person. You can't just use blanket overarching things on each individual. And this goes for the friend you're dealing with. Really think about who that person is you're about to approach. And then you can go ahead and change your strategy of criticism, or even if you're not criticizing them, I think this is a very good thing to think about. Next lesson is to understand that emotions are contagious. You ever seen Tony Robbins speak? Mm -hmm. You ever seen the Dalai Lama speak? 
Mm-hmm. These are two different types of people. You go to a Dalai Lama event, let's say, you can see that his crowd would be more Zen-like. Why is this? Because the leader is presenting a Zen-like approach. Not to say it's good or bad. I use these two because they're both very motivating people. Look at Tony Robbins. He comes in with electricity and his emotions are very high. He's passionate about something. Think about this beforehand that emotions are contagious and you don't want to be that black cloud entering the room because then everybody just wants you out of the room. You got nine people in the room. You walk in, you become the 10th one and you're a drag. They don't, their emotions might be a different degree of contagious to where they're happy. They're going to want you gone. Come into the room and have that dominating energy, have that alpha energy, we'll call it. And you're, you know, you're ready to rock. You're having fun. You want to pump everybody up. And even if that was a room of sad people, that's a dominating energy. You could have them all start to adopt that psyched up mentality. I remember we used to go out in college. I was always the guy that would have one beer and I'm off the wall. I would get completely <laughs> Why does that crazy. Not surprise me. Yeah, one drink or beer. I'm super happy. I'm ready to let's let's go. Let's get amped up. And people would always be like, "Was Ryan showing up yet? Because we need to like get up. You know, we need to get amped up. You know, now it, older, it's like coffee can help us do that. But think about how emotions can be contagious. Can you can you recall an event or a time when that was the case? I'm probably very different from you in this respect. I'm usually pretty laid back, low key, and. Other people tend to, not that I'm like a sad person or depressive person at all, but... I'd call um, you calm, cool, and collected, yeah, to be honest. You yeah. fit that bill It completely. takes a lot for me to get like super jazzed up and excited and energetic um, to the point where it's visible. You know, like I can be very happy about you something, be happy, but I'm not, not like it, yeah. cheerleader, off the walls, bubbly kind of person. That's just but not my But you were a cheerleader, side note. I was, yes, yes. And one, I don't yes. know what happened there, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, but in any event, where was I going Kate's with that? Kate's also a singer... <laughs> And she sung the national You're anthem. Telling all at my her secrets here. I just think it's so awesome. It's you're such a cool person. You've got all these little nuggets well, thank in. Thank you. Um, also, when I was a cheerleader, so two pieces of information that just happened to fit well together. In any event, um, where are we going with this? You were telling us how energy comes in the room. A direct example of how you feel. Yeah. So I'm trying to think back. Um, a good example. I have some some coworkers actually who are extremely bubbly people, and just being around them sort of lifts your mood, gets you more jazzed up. Um, so yeah, it's definitely. Uh, and and by contrast, you know, I have I know some people who are constantly like Debbie Downers, like very woe is me, Eeyore, like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, the world's coming can't to an end. Can't stand being around those people. Well, and they bring your mood down so yeah, much. It's around. just, you know, it works both ways. Uh-huh. And so, you know, everybody loves being around people that lift your mood and sort of bring levity to a room. And the flip side of that is nobody likes being around people who are constantly, you know, negative yeah. and always, you know, naysayers. We, we all have that one friend, too, that you can think of whether it's back in the day or now where it's like, oh, man, you know, they're a good friend, I guess. But as soon as they come around, they're bummy. But then we have that one friend that's like, oh, dude, I can't wait till this kid comes over. My, one of my oldest friends, Gabe, like I, since second grade, he's been one of my best friends. As soon as he comes around, he's super light up guy, a light up the room, has personality. My sister's that way too. So it's always good to keep those people around and also think about that impact on which one do you fit? You don't want to come off as that person. Which one do I fit now? I think you're probably the bubbly, upbeat kind of person. All right, I can take that. I can deal with that. (laughs) And the last lesson that we're going to give on EQ, one of the most powerful, it's body language. 
body language sets off so many different elements of your emotion. Your feet tell all. CIA agents, FBI agents, they look at the feet. They look at the, the foot positioning. You can tell if someone's uneasy, this or that. We all pick up on this, whether we're an FBI agent or not. We're going to pick up on somebody's energy. How are your shoulders? How is your are your hands folded? And before someone starts to adjust your mood, back to let's look back at the Eeyore character, the person that's always in a bad mood. You can picture them. They're slumped over. They're in a kind of a defensive stance and they come in and before they say one word, you can already feel that energy. Let's look at the opposite. Tony Robbins, chest out, shoulders rolled back, chin up, confidence. He comes in the room and he lights it up with that contagious attitude. But think about what your body language and your positioning is. We did a full podcast on body language. Kate had the reins on that one. I know this is a big thing for her. So I'm going to let her talk about EQ and how this is affected by body language. Well, one big thing that I really find helpful here, and I don't know if anybody else that's listening to this has tried this. I'm sure if they listen to our body language podcast, they have, um, is a concept called mirroring. And it's an instant way to connect with somebody is to look at their body language and mirror the vibe that they're giving off. So if they're standing, um, you know, leaned against the wall with their arms crossed, sort of mirroring that, not, you know, doing it consciously so that to the point that they notice you're trying to do exactly the same thing as them, but, um, you know, just sort of naturally shifting your body into a position that mimics theirs can actually make them feel a lot more comfortable and sort of willing to open up to you. So I think that's, that's just been at least one of my body language keys. It's a great key. It's the light. It also fits the liking theory by Cialdini, the, the principle of liking. If you do something similar to someone, they'll like you more. Now I want to roll into the big takeaway. I've got a great big takeaway. As you guys know, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm in sales. It's very important for me to make profits in different companies and different ventures. And there's a golden rule. We know what the golden rule is. The golden rule is do to others as you would like to be treated. And my big takeaway is to go ahead and take the golden rule and shatter it over your knee and break it. You do not want to use the golden rule. I'll tell you why. I'm gonna, I want you to alter it for me real quick. Don't treat others as you want to be treated. Treat others as they want to be treated. Think about the power of this. Who's the person you're dealing with and how do they want to be treated? If you want to make sales, you don't have to want what you want. You have to have enough EQ enough emotional intelligence to understand your prospect. It's very important. What are their wants and desires? Because my wants and desires are different. So we grow up, we're groomed up hearing about this golden rule thing. And it's golden rule is a, is a great thing for amateurs. It's a great thing for rookies. But this is success convo and you got to the end and you're listening to the big takeaway. Fuck the rookie. We're going in hard. What we're trying to get at you right now is to understand things at a different level. So you're not going to use the golden rule anymore. You're going to start using the EQ rule, the empathy rule. I love that. You like that? Yeah. That's cool. awesome. You ready for my big takeaway? I am. Looking waiting, at me like you're waiting. waiting. I'm waiting patiently. <laughs> I love the big takeaways. Kate always smashes it. You had a killer takeaway earlier by going the reversal on that one point. Excellent. Yeah, I should have left that for my big takeaway now that I think about what it. You, but got? you got you got something hidden. Let's hear it. <laughs> I think, I'm, I'm, and it's, it's not anything revolutionary, but it's, it's very important is, and you, you alluded to this at the beginning, Ryan, where everybody wants to, you know, buy that next book and watch that next YouTube video and learn about something they've never thought about before, which is great. And it's, it's important to build those skills and build that IQ. But 
EQ is just as important. I mean, we all know that person who's super, super smart, but very awkward to interact with to the point where they're kind of a hermit and don't really have much of a social life and at work are sort of standoffish. And you don't want to be that person, um, A, because you're not going to have any friends and nobody's going to want to be around you. But B, it's also, it, it can have the reverse effect. It can make you appear less intelligent, less smart if you have that you know, awkwardness about you for somebody who doesn't know you and doesn't mm-hmm. know your skill set. So my big takeaway would be to think about EQ the way you think about IQ and building it up like a muscle and, you know, flexing it and taking the opportunities to sort of test yourself on these skills and sort of how you're, you're doing with them. And there are books out there that will teach you how to build up your EQ. And it's, it's worthwhile to read them just like you would something to, you know, build up your IQ. Mm-hmm. So that would be my big takeaway is to focus on increasing your skills in this area the same way you would your, your brain smarts. I love it. And just to kind of send that home, I want you as a listener to do two things right now. The first, obviously, share this podcast and rate it on iTunes if you haven't. Give it that five out of five. Tell us why you love it. And then the second thing. Kate mentioned books, How to Win Friends and Influence People. This is a book that you need to read right now. You need to go over it at Amazon and put it in, read it all the way through. I read this one years ago. You read this one years ago, mm-hmm. right? Okay, we both have read this book years ago, and it talks. There's so many keys buried in there, like magic of the name and things that are going to get you moving in the right direction as far as how to interact with people. Because as Kate mentioned, this is something that you have to get out there and you have to do all the time. Whether you're meeting new people, going to that new networking event, get yourself in the mix more. All these things are going to be vital for your money and for your success. Join us over in Sleepless for Success Facebook group if you're not already there. Let us know what you think of this episode. Hang out with us. We're going to exchange some tips. We have a lot of cool things in the future. We've got some courses. I have a very special camp coming up, some really cool stuff. So we'll catch you guys over there. Kate, any last words for our lovely listeners? No, I'm excited. to. to we have a special surprise on next week's podcast, so I'm looking forward to it. Killer. Can't You're wait. looking at me like you have no idea. I'm like, what is a surprise? <laughs> Can't wait to hear it. I love you guys. I'll catch you soon. Thanks for tuning in and sharing Success Convo Podcast.